our church as well. So, have you ever let someone down? Think about that for a minute. Maybe you have. Um, that question has a lot of different meanings, right? Maybe you uh, struck out with the bases loaded. You let your team down, right? Maybe you dropped the pop fly to let the winning run score, something like that. I've shared stories about how um, I snapped a football and a punt over everybody's head one time. I let my team down. Uh, it happens that way. Um, letting someone down also looks like maybe you're in a group project and you didn't do your research and everybody else didn't get the grade that they hoped that they would get because you didn't do your part, right? The older you get, the older you get, the more people depend on you, right? Amen. And um, that means it gives you, it multiplies your opportunities to possibly let someone down. Parents, have you ever let your kids down? Yeah. Maybe you uh, didn't make it to their game. Maybe you forgot to pick them up at school or you were late. It happens, right? Um, maybe just to you. Maybe not. Maybe to me. Um, and and the, those things happen. Um, spouses, have you ever let your wife or your husband down? Yeah, that, that looks, if you've lived long enough, yeah. It, it, because if you're married long enough, it's, it's bound to happen. You will not come through every single time. At work, you have coworkers. You might let them down. They might let you down. The, the idea is that, um, you know, maybe you, maybe you missed a decimal point and it messed with everybody else's uh, work. And that could get you fired, actually, if you miss a decimal point. But um, put a comma in instead that makes you richer, right? That's the way it works in money. But, uh, you know, there's, there's all kinds of ways. Maybe you just didn't have a good sales week or month and your, your team didn't earn the goals that you were after. Sometimes we let people down. Regardless of the circumstances, it's going to happen to you. Uh, I have in all of those situations that I just talked about. I've let my team down at some point. I've let my wife down at some point. I've let my kids down at some point. At my job, uh, I've failed as well and didn't come through. So if you breathe long enough, just know that it's going to happen. And isn't that a joyful message at the beginning of our time together, right? You're looking forward to this. Right? Oh, we're a bunch of failures. It's just it's a mess. But just because you fail someone does not make you a failure. It makes you human. It makes you a person. Today, we get to continue our emphasis about the grace of God, about he's the same God as he was with David and Joseph and Mary and uh, all the people that we read about in Scripture, but he's the same today as well. And this overwhelming consistency that we see of God through Scripture is alive in our own lives today. And we've seen uh, the provenient grace of God. We've seen the provenient grace, how it guides us even before we become a believer, even become, before we're a Jesus follower and we commit our lives to him. Uh, provenient grace uh, is just that urging of the Holy Spirit that helps us to lead us towards a relationship with Him. And this happens in a lot of different ways. The provenient grace of God works through our relationships. Maybe He brings somebody into your life that 
uh, wasn't there before. Whether it be uh, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a coworker, um, you go to a different church, uh, you go to a church and you find someone, those relationships, they start to grow. And you see how God works in their lives and it works in yours as well. Uh, this happens through big life events, these pivotal circumstances. Maybe it's a job change or a family change. We have a baby for the first time, right? That enhances your faith, doesn't it, uh, in a lot of things. But it can also help lead you towards uh, a relationship with God. And we saw this happen, um, but you know, the provenient grace is just there when we have this God-shaped hole in our heart that we try and fill with all kinds of different stuff. And eventually, that grace of God is what we find, what we're searching for. And uh, we saw that in the life of the woman that was known for her sin a couple weeks ago. We talked about that. And um, she was drawn to Jesus. She heard that Jesus was going to be in her town. And even though it was, she was known for being a sinner, she was a prostitute, and she was going into the religious leader's house, Simon the Pharisee. And that's where Jesus was. He was having lunch, dinner, whatever. He was having a meal. And she was so drawn and wanted to encounter Jesus so much that she went in in the most uncomfortable of environments for her, where she knew immediately she would be judged because that's what the Pharisees did. They held all kinds of things over, her, over, their head, over people's heads. But she approached Jesus, and she washed his feet with her tears. And she had this encounter with Jesus that he extends grace to her. And it changed her life forever. And in the midst of that, transform, that, that, that happens, and we become to follow Jesus. And it takes us to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And we talked about that last week on the road to Damascus, how Saul has a face-to-face encounter with Jesus, just a short conversation amidst the bright light, and, um, and Paul was, was blinded by it. And for three days, he had to sit in darkness and just listen to what the Holy Spirit was saying to him, but, but God extended saving grace. It's, it's that grace that's available because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for my sins and for yours. And, and Saul, uh, through this encounter, um, it, it changed who he was completely. It changed his name. It changed how we viewed Saul. He became Paul, right? And it changed his, didn't change his passion. He was a very passionate, educated, well-skilled um, well, uh, person. Very, very wise and used his resources great. That didn't change, but his purpose changed completely. And Paul took all that what he was blessed with and used it to spread the good news of the gospel all over the world. Today, we get another view of God's grace, the sanctifying grace of, of God. This is grace that uh, it sets us apart for the sole purpose of serving God with every part of our lives. It's a, a, a matter of surrender to what we have and what is God's. And to understand it better, we get to see Jesus extend grace to someone that was extremely close to him. And, and this guy let Jesus down in a massive way. Probably one of the most public ways uh, in, that's noted in Scripture of letting someone down. And to better understand this idea... 
We're going to look at this encounter that Jesus had uh, post-resurrection. And um, he's, he's there on the beach with all of the disciples, sans Judas, right? He wasn't around anymore. But the disciples were there on the beach on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus. But this encounter was with all of them. But most specifically, after breakfast, it was with Peter. It was a one-on-one. And everybody was just kind of watching um, and, and, and trying to figure out, well, what's, get, what's Jesus going to do with Peter? And we find this encounter in the Gospel of John. So if you want to look up John in your scripture, uh, John is the fourth book of the, the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we'll be in verse 20, uh, chapter 21 today. Um, <clears throat> and uh, so like I said, we, we can, uh, t- if you turn there now, just uh, know here are some events leading up to. If, if you're um, in, in television, this would be a flashback, flashback scene. Okay, so think about Jesus and disciples around a fire on the beach of the Sea of Galilee. All right, this is where we're at in John chapter 21. Um, so now think about flashback three years earlier. Three years earlier, Jesus chooses a group of men to be on his team. He chooses a group, small group if you want. If you want to see the first small group in the history of, of churches, there you go. But Jesus knew that he needed um, to, to build into these people's lives, these guys' lives. And the first four disciples that he called to be on his team were fishermen. There was uh, Peter and Andrew, and they were the first ones. And then there was James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And Jesus uh, approached them first. He was on the water's edge. You can find this encounter in Luke chapter 5 uh, later if you want to read that. Um, it's a good, good, good read. Um, but Jesus was teaching to a group of people, and the crowd just kind of kept getting bigger and bigger. And he was kind of getting edged off into the water. So the fishermen were there working. They'd fished all night. They were cleaning their nets and drying them out and getting all the pop cans and stuff out of them that were left over. And, and so he says, hey, can, I, can you do me a favor? Can I get in your boat and you push out in the water a little bit so I can use, uh, so I don't drown here? I, obviously, he could have just stood on the water, but it wasn't time for that yet. He needed to get in the boat. And so they were like, sure, get in, no problem. And so when he's done teaching in their boat, he looks at them and he says, hey, guys, why don't we push out and go for a fish? Okay? And they're, they're looking at each other like, yeah, Jesus, we don't fish during the day. You fish at night because that's when they're at the top. And we don't have these big weighted nets and everything. We need to fish at nighttime where the fish are. And they hadn't caught anything all night long. So obviously they were having a hard time with this. But um, regardless, they choose, no matter for whatever reason, <clears throat> they decide we're going to do this. We're going we're gonna to go ahead, we'll push out and and at this point, we hear one of Peter's favorite lines, um, and for whatever reason, we don't know what he heard when Jesus was teaching, but he said, okay, because you say so, Lord, I'll put the net, we'll put our nets down. Sure enough, they throw the nets out in the middle of the day, and they catch so many fish, they can barely get them all in a boat, 153 fish, if I'm not mistaken. And um, they didn't really know Jesus at this point. They had a lot to lose uh, as far as the way people perceived them. Fishermen didn't go fishing, and they were lifelong. They were generational fishermen. It wasn't their, their first time out. 
And they barely knew Jesus, but they, they went ahead and did what Jesus asked them to do. And um, then Jesus tells them, he has this encounter. Three years before the beach scene, right? Three years ago, he said, all right, now, from now on, you will fish for men. He says, follow me. From now on, you will fish for men. And Peter and Andrew, James and John, that's exactly what they did. They dropped everything. James and John left their dad standing in the boat, okay? And they followed Jesus. They left everything. So they thought they left everything behind, and they followed Jesus. And over those three years, Jesus teaches them, and he breathes life into them. They get to see miracles beyond explanation. They get to see, and they get to hear unprecedented teaching that, go to, that went against so much of what they had heard growing up and what was being taught in the synagogues. They witnessed life being lived in a completely different way than they had ever seen in the life of Jesus. That's three years before. So now we're back here on the beach, and they're serving up the fish and whatever bread or whatever that Jesus made. Um, so we're going to flash back now to four days earlier. It's a Thursday. And Jesus is participating with his disciples on what we know is the Last Supper, but it was just the, the Passover feast. And um, this was a tradition that the, the Jewish people did every single year. And it went all the way back to Egypt, and they celebrated that. That's what their tradition asked them to do. And at this time, Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. And during, it, he, during dinner, he shares a wealth of information with all of them. He's getting a lot off his chest. He, he knows what's about to happen. And he reveals what's going to happen to them, what's going to happen to him in just a few short hours. And so he says, first of all, someone's going to betray me. And they're all like, well, wait a minute. Who's going to betray you, Jesus? And then Jesus kind of just moves on. And he gives the greatest commandment ever, which is to love one another as I have loved you, which would have, would have, would have looked completely different the next day when they watched him die on the cross. And um, he tells Peter directly, one of his most devoted and motivated and uh, boisterous disciples, okay? Uh, Peter didn't have a filter. Peter was kind of off the cuff and spontaneous. Um, and he says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Before the sun comes up tomorrow, it's going to happen. That's what he tells Peter. And Peter's like, oh, no way. I would never do that. Um, in, in, in this most public way possible, Jesus assured him that this was going to happen. And sure enough, everything that Jesus told the disciples at the Last Supper happened, just like he said it would. They finish dinner, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, P Jesus, they go, he goes off to pray, and he's doing, uh, doing uh, all the battle of, of not my will, but thine in my life, and, and giving himself, surrendering his own life to the will of God. And Judas comes in with the temple guard. And he's going to betray Jesus. It was Judas. Uh, spoiler alert, right? And, uh, and so the whole group scatters, scared for their life because they didn't want to be uh, put on trial, just like Jesus was getting ready to be put on trial. But Peter follows from afar. And Peter does exactly what Jesus said. He lets him down. He, he denies 
that even knowing Jesus three times, three different people, three different environments, and the final one, a little middle school-aged girl approaches him and says, hey, weren't you with Jesus? And he's like, no, I didn't know him. And he denies even knowing Jesus three times, just like Jesus told him he would. He let him down completely. Now we're back to the beach, and breakfast is wrapping up. And we're getting ready to to see this encounter in John chapter 21. But let's flash back one more time. 30 minutes earlier, okay? All the disciples are in the boat. They're back in the boat. Jesus was, he was crucified. He was buried. He rose again on Sunday morning, on Easter morning. They didn't call it Easter then. But on Easter morning, he rose again. That night, he shows up in this locked room where all the disciples were. He just shows up, okay? And they talk to him. They see the scars. They understand he is alive. He eats. He touches. They touch him. They know that he is alive. But they go back to the boat. The, the, their following days, they thought, were over when Jesus died. And they go back to their old way of life, back to their past. And they go fishing. And they catch zero fish, okay? Because just like, and it was just like the day that they met Jesus for the very first time. They had caught no fish that whole night. They're coming back toward the shore. And, um, and they had caught no fish. It's like they lost their touch, okay? They'd been following Jesus for three years. Sometimes you get a little rusty, right? And they see a guy on the shore as they're coming in for in the morning. Probably still a little dark, didn't recognize him. Maybe their eyes weren't good. I don't know. But, but it's Jesus. And he calls out to them, hey, any luck? You caught any fish? They're like, no, we're, we didn't. We got nothing. He says, try the other side of the boat. And they look at each other like, oh, yeah, because that's where the fish are. They're over, they're over here. My bad. But sure enough, they throw the nets to the other side of the boat, and that's where the fish were. So many fish that they couldn't barely pull them all in. And John and Peter, they look at each other, and they're like, whoa, this has happened before. Do you remember three years ago? They didn't say any of this, but they're looking at each other, and they're thinking, three years ago? That exact same thing happened. And John says in Scripture that, He tells Peter, it's the Lord. They knew that it was Jesus at that point. They remember that miracle from three years ago when they decided to drop all they had and all they were to follow Jesus. And and Peter, he doesn't even, doesn't wait. He doesn't paddle. He doesn't get out. He jumps in the water and swims to shore, okay? And most likely the boats got there the same time he did, unless he's an Olympic swimmer. He might be. Um, But that's how... He, that's how he was. He just did what he thought. And he got in the boat, he got out of the boat, and he swam to the shore. And he has breakfast. Jesus is sitting there on the beach right here with breakfast ready. He didn't need, he says, hey, bring some of the fish with you. But he'd already caught some or just told them to get out of the water, and they did. And he had breakfast ready for his disciples. And in this encounter, we find in John chapter 21, he seeks out Peter specifically, and uh, we'll be in verse 15, um, and, and Jesus basically 
they, they, they get caught up, I guess. We don't know what conversations they had during breakfast. But then Jesus, he addresses the elephant in the room with Peter. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to him, this is in verse 15 of chapter 21, <clears throat> Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, he said to him, Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked a third time. See the irony in that, right? Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. So this encounter for Peter with Jesus, with the rest of the disciples looking on, living his life in public for all of his friends to see. There's things that we do in our lives that we don't even want our friends to know about, right? We don't want them to see the bad stuff that we've done. In, and, and, but Peter is living it out right here on display. And Jesus and him have this conversation. Do you love me? Three times he asked the same question. Do you love me? Do you love me? And three times Peter answers the question. And after the third time, he gets his feelings hurt. And I think that was probably on purpose. Like Jesus was inferring to him, do you get the point now? First of all, I know what you did. Second of all, it doesn't matter. Feed my sheep. He said, Lord, you know that I love you. You know everything. And so the irony is not lost on Peter, and it's not lost on us today either. See, Jesus spent three years building into the lives of these disciples and more, more than just the 12. But these, these core group of men, and one of them let Jesus down, Judas, he betrays Jesus, right? And that's a, a way of letting someone down for sure. And Judas doesn't give Jesus the opportunity to extend grace to him because of what he does and his actions and taking his own life and we don't know. Um, the grace of God is for everyone, including people like G Judas, who betrayed Jesus. But Judas didn't give him that opportunity. He took matters into his own hands. But Peter let Jesus down three times in this the matter of hours, just like Jesus predicted it would happen, after Peter assured that it wouldn't happen. But during breakfast, Jesus extends grace to Peter and said, what you've done it's irrelevant. What you do forward is what's important. Feed my sheep. And so Peter, um, he, he's, he, he, gets, he gives Peter, Jesus gives Peter what he needs to become the foundational person in the launch of the gospel to the world. And during that breakfast, Peter had to be thinking, and Jesus would have known that he was thinking this, but he had to be thinking, the whole time while they're eating and kind of having small talk before Jesus encounters, is he going to say something? Is he going to say something? I'm not making eye contact. I don't want to look at Jesus. He knows what I did, and I know what I did. And Jesus just asked the simple question, do you love me? Three times. It's almost like Jesus was saying, Peter, do you love me? I know you feel guilty. 
You know I love you, Lord. Then feed my sheep, Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? I know you let me down. Okay, I told you it was going to happen. I knew it before it happened. And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He says, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And Peter's, he could see the hurt in Peter's eyes and probably feel it in his heart. And he's saying, he says to Peter, basically, this issue is not about me. This issue is about you. And so Peter comes to the, the realization that all that stuff I have to let go of. So we think about this for just a minute. Three years before, Jesus says, follow me. That was the only invitation that he gave his disciples. He didn't say, believe in me first. Here's, the, here's eight things that you got to do. Right? All the boxes you have to check to be a Jesus follower. He just says, follow me. And they dropped everything, and they followed him. They left their family behind. They left their fishing business behind. Anything that they had, they just followed Jesus for three years. But things didn't go the way the disciples thought they would go or, and, it, it, and where they would end up. Okay? Where did they end up after Jesus dies? They, they see Jesus die on the cross. Even though he was resurrected, they still didn't know their place. So they're back in the boat, back to their old way of life doing the things that they knew that we were comfortable with and that, that they knew, they thought, well, that has a future now that Jesus is gone. We don't know what's going to happen. And here's the thing, that follow me invitation that Jesus gave was a lifetime commitment. It wasn't a, just for three years while I'm here. He didn't, Jesus didn't say, follow me until things get hard, and then you can decide what you want to do, all right? You can go get back in the boat if you want. Good luck catching any fish. Or he didn't say, follow me until I die and rise from the dead, and then everything will be okay and taken care of. That wasn't the point either. When they dropped their nets and left everything behind, it was not just follow me for a while while I'm here on this earth. God, Jesus, he had a plan for those men to be the disciples to the world, not just to keep everything inside their circle. And they had seen and talked to Jesus the night before, and maybe they're still in shock. We don't know how we would, how we would react, right? But because, you know, someone coming back from the dead was not something they were accustomed to. They saw it happen when Jesus raised others from the dead, but this was totally different. And they knew that Jesus was alive, but they were turned back to their old way of life, back into the boat. And these three questions that Jesus asked Peter, the same answer Peter gives, they're simple, right? You know I love you. But Jesus is just lining out for Peter and the rest of them and for us today. That when you follow me, it means that you follow all of me. And when you follow me, it's a lifetime commitment. And it means that regardless of your circumstances, you surrender your old way of life. No more getting back in the boat. Whatever is in your boat, whether it is toxic relationships or drugs or alcohol or the job that drug you into the pit of hell and you hate it and it made you a bad person, you don't get back in the boat. When you follow Jesus, 
You make the daily decision to surrender your entire life to him. Every single day, it's your choice to do that. And the sanctifying grace of God will, that encounter will, will continue to bring you through every single day. To get away from the boat, the stuff that was in your boat, and lead you towards the way that Jesus wants you to go. And Jesus had to show Peter that total surrender, it's a lifetime commitment. Lived out every day. It's not like a contract that we, that we sign and then we forget about it. Okay? It's yes, Lord. And then the next day, it's yes, Lord. You need to take this away because it's really bogging me down. Then the next day, yes, Lord. And I forget, I get further and further away from the things in my boat that I can get dragged back into. And that's what the sanctifying grace of God is. It's extended to us. And from there, we surrender our lives to him every day. Lived out by choosing to do what God asks us to do and go where God asks us to go. To put our plans, right? We all have plans. You have plans, don't you? You have plans what you're going to do this for lunch. You have plans what you're going to do on Thursday. All right, we look ahead. Our calendar is full of plans in our house. We do that. And our, but we put that behind our agenda. It goes behind what we want when we're thinking about the grace of God and surrendering our lives to him. And to put the old way of life behind us, we want to live as a reflection of God. And it means that we don't get back in the boat. Peter and the other disciple uh, fishermen probably talked to the other eight or uh, seven and say, hey, let's go fishing. That's what we know. It's what we do. Maybe they need money. Who knows? Um, and they were going to sell the fish. But Peter and the other, they, they go back to their old way of life. But back in Luke chapter 5, three years before, Jesus says, from now on, you will fish for men. It doesn't say from, uh, from now until next Wednesday, you should do this, and then you're, out, you're off the hook. From now on. And Peter had to give up that last part of himself. There was no turning back to fishing. There was no getting back in the boat. So God could have all of him. You see, surrendering our lives to Jesus, it's about cutting away the old life, old way of life, and then walking away from it from now on. And it is a daily choice that we make. Peter came to that realization. All those lessons and the, the things that Jesus had taught them, all the things that he revealed to them. And it's not just while he was here on earth. Those things came way better into picture and into focus. And it meant no turning back to the old way of life just and, and the things I used to do. Not because our past life was even bad, really. Maybe you lived a great past life before you were saved and you place your trust in Jesus as your personal Savior. That's irrelevant. What's irrelevant is looking forward and surrendering your past because that's what we're called to do. And uh, we're all transformed from different things in different ways. I get that. I grew up different than you did and, and vice versa. We all have been involved in different things in our lives that maybe we're not proud of. Maybe we're super proud of them. But we have to give those things away too. And give those to God. 
And uh, because a life surrendered to Jesus is the most fulfilling life available, plain and simple. And it's not, it's not that we regret the things we don't get to do anymore. Well, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian now, so I don't get to go party anymore. I'm a Christian now. I don't get to go to those places. And we lament the things that, no, we give those to God. And he takes those desires and, and puts them in a, in a light where we can use it for him, just like he did with Paul. Paul got uh, his life turned around like that. And he didn't kill Christians anymore, did he? No, he spread the gospel all over the world, to the utmost parts of the world. So we don't, we, we don't regret what we don't get to do, but we look forward to the peace in Christ that we have in him. We don't miss the things that we used to do and to live, in, but we look forward to, the God, uh, to what God's will looks like and to do what he asks us to do moving forward. Because we're wholly devoted to him. See, Jesus showed Peter, it doesn't matter what you've done. It matters that you surrender the things that you've done. That you don't hold on to them and keep the boat full of your past life. And you surrender that every single day. Because that's what's necessary. And we just have to surrender the things that we have done. And we're asked to do the same thing, you and me. We're asked to do the same thing that Peter did. And uh, because we, we have to live knowing we're going to fail. We're going to let people down because we're human. And others are going to let you down because they're human. And we're not perfect. And uh, we, we get away from this encounter of grace uh, with Jesus, what we get out of it between this encounter with Peter and, and Jesus on the beach after breakfast is that even though we fail, God will not. And his grace is perfect. And God extends that to us. And he calls us to, in turn, extend it to others. Even though Peter let Jesus down in, in a terrible way, Jesus was right there to pick him up. He didn't ask him, what were you thinking, you moron? He didn't do that. He didn't judge him. He didn't say anything bad. He just said, Peter, do you love me? Man, I get it. All right? He was human too. God was, uh, he was God in a body. But Jesus, get, he gets that. And he didn't, he didn't come down hard on Peter. He was right there to pick him up and show him that if Peter would follow him, completely, from now on, that greater things in his life are to come. And from that point forward, that's exactly what Peter does. He surrenders daily. And because of that, it's who Jesus put in charge of the whole franchise moving forward. This thing we know as the church. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter is the one. When the Spirit comes and, uh, in a rushing wind and Peter preaches and 3,000 people Give their lives to God, just like that, okay? So Peter doesn't surrender the past failures of his life. Do you think that he was bold enough to step into that call? I don't think so. But daily, he had to give, and it motivated him to say, from now on, my eyes are forward. No more looking back. No more getting in the boat. Peter probably walked everywhere that he could instead of having to sail across the lake. 
or the sea. If I were him, that's what I would have done. I'm not getting in that boat because it's too much. We're not going back there. I'm not going to put myself in a position to fail and, and not stay focused on surrendering every single day. And so God wants us to be all in for him. And what does that cost? Okay, $15 will get you a trivia ticket and a bowl of chili. Okay, this cost a little, is a little different, right? It cost Jesus his life. And that's what his purpose was for coming. And it provides us the saving grace opportunity that w- that's available for all of us. All we have to do is say yes. And the cost for us is just to give up that life that the world wants us to live. It's the world that's saying, oh, you, you can't let go of that because you never know how dependable God's going to be. He, he might just leave us. He, he's going to be gone. And the world wants us to believe that and continue, even if we don't live in that life over and over again every day, he just, we just need to keep the boat tied to the dock so it's there, sitting there if we ever need it. And, and God is saying, you've got to untie it and let it go. That's the cost for us. Surrender our hearts to God willfully every day. Leave behind your old way of life and realize the value that you have in the heart of God. Jesus saw the value in Peter. We talked about purpose and calling all of January. Peter's calling was that he had, no, he had more courage than anybody in Scripture just about, that you can read about. He just did it. He didn't think about it. He was a doer immediately, sometimes to his detriment, right? But God used that in a great way. And he realized his value in the kingdom, like Peter had to do after his failures. If I let go of this, I'm, I, there's so much more that I can do in the name of Jesus. And he lived a life that reflected the love and the heart of God And that's what we're to do as well. And then what, right? We'll never fail again, right? We'll never let anybody else down. I'm surrendering every day to God. Nope, you're still human, (laughs) unfortunately. You still have that capacity to sin. You're going to let people down, even if your best intentions. I, I don't think that really any of us intend to do that, right? We don't willfully let people down. But it happens. But it means that daily we make the choice to replace our old sinful way of life with new dependence on the perfect will and way of God. And if we remember, and if we will surrender our entire heart to Jesus, that, that, that's living life to its fullest, no doubt. We want that to happen in the lives of all of us. The sooner the better, Right? And we become a church that is motivated to change the, the face of our community and our world because of what Christ can do through us and in us when we're totally surrendered to him. It's about allowing God to take your failures and your sinful life of the past, your old self, okay, the old man. That's what they used to call it back when I was growing up, the old man. And replace it with the life and the love of, and the grace of God 
and become a reflection of his heart every single day. That's the sanctifying grace of, of God. And it's totally attainable. It doesn't, uh, doesn't really cost you anything except saying yes every day. And then seeing what God can just do in a great way in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, today as uh, we, we ponder on the things that hold on to us, I just ask that you will that you will do a great thing in the hearts and lives of each one of us here today. That saying yes to you is a powerful thing. And surrendering that to you every single day can change so much in our lives. And so, Father, we just ask that you will continually remind us and show us your power and your grace that you will help us to let go of all the stuff in our boat. Now we just untie it from the dock and push it out and never go back to that time. Those things that drug us down, those things, the, the negativity, the, the hate that's in our heart, the, the things that we, we feel like we can control, but it's just so opposite of the heart of God and that we let go of those things. We don't wander back every once in a while, but Lord, we just keep our eyes from now on and follow you, just like you asked the disciples to do. And eventually they got it. It took them three years. But Lord, we're asking you to do that today, to open those doors for us, to give us the boldness to walk through them and then shut the door behind us and never look back that we continue every day to say yes to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being here today. It's been a great day of worship. We hope to see you this afternoon. Uh, take a quick nap and study hard. You know the, you know the uh, topics for trivia. Grab a friend, bring them tonight. We'll see you there or later on this week. God bless. Have a great day.